Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we have a guest, Vladimir Baranov, and he is a founder and chief technology officer of Advisor Engine. Advisor uh, Engine builds powerful and intuitive technology for financial advisors. And Vladimir oversees the company's software development and technological operations. He has nearly 15 years of experiencing, uh, experience designing and building successful technology solutions. Welcome, Vladimir. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Actually, it was really interesting uh, to see you present at the 7 CTOs conference not too long ago. And uh, I think we're going to get some lessons that uh, you may have talked about there and maybe some more. Yeah, it was, it was definitely great. Uh, and thanks to for ATN to organizing it from 7 CTOs. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a good one. Um, okay, so I think that... Uh, you know, many of our listeners are in tech, but not all of them. Some of them are more science, you know, biotech kind of folks. And so I just want to make sure all of our listeners know what a CTO does, a chief technology officer. Can you just briefly describe what you do? Sure, I will do. And just uh, to say uh, off the top is that uh, CTO role is very differently implemented depending on the organization. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, you'll see a mix of uh, technology strategy, software development process, a little bit of infrastructure, internal applications, data compliance and security, somewhere be in the realm of CTO uh, responsibilities. And sometimes you also share this responsibilities with CIO, which becomes a more a little bit of a strategic uh, function. Me personally, I dabble in all, all those parts and I have to wear multiple hats throughout the day in order to get my role successfully executed. Wow, sounds complicated. Um, you've had a lot of experience doing this kind of role, right? Have you been CTO at other companies too? I have been at uh, much smaller ones, uh, of about two, three people, which is definitely not the same compared to the size of advisor engine now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, can you give us a, you know, I think that a lot of work you do is talking about how CTOs are at startup companies, at smaller companies. Can you tell us what would be, you know, the description there of what a CTO does differently? Sure. So I think in the larger organizations, the roles of CTOs and CIOs are more defined. And in startups, you have to wear many different hats throughout the day uh, to be successful. And also because you don't have people in those roles where you can delegate um, that responsibility to. Another difference would be that is um, a CTO in a startup environment has to exercise hands-on skills more frequently, where you would probably not do that if you're a CTO at a larger organization and you would delegate it uh, to another department, another person, and so on. Okay, so uh, a lot more delegating uh, at a bigger company, but you're really more hands-on. Correct, correct. A lot more hands-on, uh, a lot less delegating, even though you would want to, but yeah. there is nobody to delegate to. So <laughs> thus, you either have to pick up the skill yourself, hire an outside consultant if you have the time, but usually you end up uh, learning the skill uh, yourself and trying your best uh, to fill in uh, the gap uh, once uh, the problem arises. 
Okay. Well, one of the reasons I asked you to be on our show today is because you really have a lot of insight into the stressors that CTOs experience, especially in a startup environment. And I was wondering if you could tell our listeners and our viewers what kind of stressors come up for CTOs and startups. Sure. So I wanted to also say that uh, everybody's stressed in a startup, not just CTO. Yes. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't want to come out like a CTO is some special role okay. which doesn't experience does experience only stress. Uh, but there is lots of many uh, places where CTO might experience uh, stress and some things that I've spoken about um, at the conference um, and that I think where the stress is the most concentrated is a product development process, uh, usually interpersonal conflicts, uh, sometimes inability to delegate uh, and uh, overwork or exhaustion uh, from doing too much stuff. So those, those are the kind of... Um, stresses that I have myself personally experienced and I've seen other uh, CTOs experience too. Okay. Well, you said a lot of things here. So let's, let's go unpack that. Um, you talked about product development process. Yes. What kind of stressors? What does that mean? What have you experienced? What comes up? Uh, sure. So usually things around scope and client needs merge. Uh, usually this is a lot of translation is needed for both sides. Um, let's say business speaks to client, then business speaks to the CTO. Um, those kind of communications need to be optimized, and usually they're not in a startup. It means that the information as they are, it's flowing through the business gets converted into something else, and then as CTO intakes that information, passes on to the team. That's another step that takes uh, that information and changes it for the developers. Uh, basically, a case of a broken telephone. And it takes uh, some period of time to fix that, but that initially causes, and at some point later on, causes a lot of uh, stress. Um, also, like in a startup, I would say um, process terminology is uh, very different between different parties because everybody's coming not working, having worked at the same company. Most of the time, people are coming from different companies, and different companies have different processes. So, bringing that jargon and bringing that terminology. Um, there could be a lot of misunderstandings where people would think they understood each other, but places, even in the in the end, only finding out that what they have agreed to actually had their different meaning. Um, and probably another one is uh, probably like roles and assignments and responsibilities, uh, because you in startup you're oriented uh, around a specific problem, not necessarily responsibility. And sometimes some of the things uh, might fall in the gaps if they're not explicitly discussed. They need to be done by a certain person. So what kind of problems arise uh, from these miscommunications and the gaps that uh, things don't get done? I mean, what do you see in terms of like real business issues that come up for companies? Sure. So as you mentioned, uh, things uh, do not get done. Uh, things get done in a way that, let's say, client has not expected. Um, overall, frustration within the team increases in the place because people expect certain things to be done, but they did not expect that they were misunderstood in the way that they were communicating. Okay, so does that create a big cost to the organization, to the startup? Or, I mean, I'm just wondering, we talk about if we're going to solve these problems, why would we want to invest money into doing that or time or energy aside from just helping people's levels of frustration? I understand. Um, so when a startup tries to deliver something for the client, the startup usually has uh, only so many attempts before they get things right. 
before Ooh. the client yeah. walks walks away. <laughs> so that means that if you get it wrong first time, second time, third time, you lost the client. So whatever the business opportunity you were working with at that time is no longer there. Uh, and obviously for different startups, it's going to be different monetary value signed to each of those opportunities. So that would be the risk uh, if you would like to um, um, calculate it in the business value perspective. Okay. What about risks in terms of the people perspective? Like you're talking about this frustrated teams, you know, what kind of things come up there with the people part of it? Sure. Uh, so I think some of the personal conflict that could be had in the startup, especially for the individuals who are coming from larger organizations is that conflict is right there in front of you versus only being had between two people somewhere in a different office, maybe even in a different region. Uh, in a smaller group, any conflict between two individuals, especially in a very small teams, is, uh, is becoming conflict for everybody else. Everybody takes part even though they're passive observers. So it's very important to, as soon as a conflict arises, uh, to have those individuals talk to each other and figure it out because most of the time the conflict has three sides it's one person is right the second person is right and both of them are right mm -hmm. um, and having gone through the steps of discussing that it's very important to squash that conflict much earlier and to have everybody walk out peacefully so the company can continue uh, delivering the value so do you have an example of when you've done that I mean as a CTO you've had to step in and resolve a conflict Oh, absolutely. Um, my, I think my ear is very, very attuned to um, increasing uh, volume of uh, people's voices. <laughs> okay. As soon as people start restating whatever they have stated before, but like, which much, much louder uh, ways, I definitely pay attention and I try to walk people off the ledge, just having them, hey, just a second, walk me through what you're trying to say. Okay, pause. All right, not the person. Uh, please walk me through all the steps that you're trying to say. And let's pause and trying to figure out where um, either of individuals might have misunderstood each other, or maybe trying to explain some concepts in the words that another individual might, might understand, trying to mitigate that risk in a way that um, is a better, best outcome for the company and also for the two individuals involved in the conflict. So how did you learn how to do this? I mean, is this something you just kind of put together on your own? Do you take any classes, read any books, or learn from any mentors? How did you get good at resolving these conflicts? So I think first it's a lot of pain, personal pain. Uh -huh. um, I think all of the, as humans experience it on our own selves and we're trying thinking like, well, how can we get away from this pain? Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, yes, um, doubled in, uh, in, in, in a little, little self-education. I'd say I've read a lot of uh, books on negotiation, a lot of books on uh, self-improvement, a lot of books on emotional control. I've taken a few um, acting classes like improvisation uh, 101 um, with, and a few uh, books on psychology like, including like Daniel Kahneman books and uh, emotional intelligence books mm -hmm. which helped me really understand uh, the sides uh, of um, conflict about how people interact when they are inside a conflict. Um, I also have a few friends who are doing actual peace negotiation, <laughs> not me, not yeah. that, that, I'm not that expert but listening to their stories uh, gave me a lot of uh, insight on how they resolved uh, conflicts in war zones, how they resolved uh, conflicts uh, between large countries. Uh, again, nothing that I do, but I, through their stories, right. I was able to pick up on some of the conflicts, uh, resolution yeah. techniques. 
Is this typical of CTOs that you know of reading these kind of books, getting this kind of uh, information, or do you feel like you stand out in this regard? Uh, it's possible that I stand out, but I might stand out as a CTO, but not as a leader, because I believe uh, that uh, all leaders require this kind of um, skill set. Uh, otherwise, they would not be able to succeed in the leadership of their organization. Mm-hmm. I would say in general, I think I know where your question is coming from. Uh, technical individuals generally are not as, uh, should I say, emotionally aware or um, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally intelligent, aware of uh, things happening around them. But uh, all of those skills are trainable and all, it's just that I believe engineering schools or the path that companies take for their developers are not um, giving uh, a lot of attention to that kind of education. Well, you know, one of the reasons I ask, Vladimir, is also because, you know, I talk to a lot of technical people about learning a little bit about, say, emotional intelligence, things like that. And sometimes it's kind of like, well, I, you know, it's almost embarrassing. I don't want to talk about that with people. And I'm just curious if I'm sort of digressing here a minute. But, you know, would you go and tell some other technical person like, hey, yeah, I've just read this great book on emotional intelligence or uh, something like that, or is that something you just sort of do on your own and bring it in through your leadership? Or uh, have a conversation with that about that. I, I would probably only tell a person uh, only if it's in a context, in a okay. sense that let's say um, that there is a great book called Nudge, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, explains how we can work with humans in a way that is not necessarily um, authoritarian, but also have them. Uh, operate in the ways that are uh, beneficial to their own selves and to the business and to the process. Um, and uh, there was a, uh, an example where I had one of the individuals in my, uh, in my experience uh, come to me and just being very frustrated with how some people were using our software or our processes. And I had to walk that individual through and say, hey, what about have you considered reading this nudge book? Um, because it kind of explains how to deal with humans and processes and service here and through the processes and design them in a way that is more human friendly. Um, yes. So I do bring up books that I read in that context. Uh, when I do read interesting books as, as far as emotional intelligence or psychology or negotiations, and I know people who are also interested in that, and there are some other CTOs who are interested in that, I do share uh, those books and resources. Okay. So, yes, people who might be interested, it might just come up in a conversation or if it's with somebody who needs that kind of information in a context, you would be happy to share it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I want to ask a little bit, too. We're talking about self-development books and all this, and, you know, we're, we're talking about personal conflict. I mean, some of the conflict must come from the CTOs themselves, right? And you've dealt with this. I know you've talked about this before. How do you recognize... Uh, what stems from within yourself as a CTO and what advice would you have? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, th- these are all the things I had to work on myself and uh, I've gotten a lot of uh, comments and constructive criticism that I had to analyze and I to understand that it was an issue. Uh, while I, was, I thought I was doing things in the right way, I was giving feedback that perhaps I can change my ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Some examples is... Um, Technologists, we like to operate in a way of a black box, in a way like just trust us, we'll design this black box and we'll come back after two, three months after we've designed everything, which obviously does not work for anybody who is requesting work from technologists or CTOs mm-hmm. and people who are interested in more transparency, understanding about reporting, communication, 
But since communication is usually not the strongest part of technologies, that's where it's, it suffers and the concept of a black box com comes up. Um, technologists are also, including myself sometimes, um, very interested in the edgy technology. Like it's not good that it's really just working now. It's, it should be the latest, best, you know, greatest technology. Uh, okay. And sometimes it's uh, detrimental to the business value because if something that is working, but we're replacing something that is new is not yet tested, there is a huge risk that uh, this particular new technology uh, might uh, kill the business value because it has not been tested uh, thoroughly in uh, our use case. Okay, so that would come up in sort of conflicts uh, around uh, the best uh, business case for things. And these are just things that like, you might just really enjoy or, or get exactly. excited about. Exactly. And trying to realize, okay, yeah, that's really exciting and uh, fun to, to work on, but for my client or for the project. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And while most technologists usually deal with just a computer, um, and not necessarily leading and managing people, that's the context in which they are communicating. Like they're not taking into consideration other um, departments' inputs, other clients' inputs, mm -hmm. um, and they kind of are, as soon as they take the input, they lock in inside themselves and try to deliver value from their perspective okay. or from our perspective. Yeah, so we talk a lot about empathy and taking each other's perspectives. Um, to, to really be able to understand what the needs are from the different groups involved, the different parties involved, not just your own. Right, right. And that requires realization, oh, hey, I, now I get it how they're thinking. Oh, that's how I have to try and change my communication to talk about this subject and that subject. And it, with, with growth in uh, leadership and the management skills, that's what I was able to improve in myself too. Mm -hmm. So people gave you feedback that perhaps you weren't seeing other people's perspectives and then you realized, okay, now I need to think about how I'm going to do that. Exactly. I, it, it happened less in person. It happened more through me reading and understanding it. I, I don't think a lot of people are very perhaps good at giving feedback in general. That's hard. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think people just avoided giving a lot of feedback, but some feedback <laughs> which I got individually, um, that was very useful. Mm -hmm. So this is something that you're trying to just do better at and you did some reading and, and found out that, uh, wow, there's a different ways I can approach this. Yep, that's correct. Hmm. Interesting. Um, have you learned how to de uh, deliver good feedback in your role as a CTO or is that something you still struggle with? Um, I, I don't think the word struggle is, um, is a good description of it. I think all of us are running their own startup of giving feedback. So we're all experimenting on the best way to give feedback. And what I found out in my experience is that um, if you focus on just one thing for a person to improve on, or that works much better than just providing a barrage of things for a person to improve. Because when the yeah. person leaves your office or your uh, conversation and has so many things to work on, it's very depressing. And chances are the person will not even consider improving on any of them, just saying, oh, that's good. I'm a bit Vladimir is all wrong. I'm not going to listen to that person. Ah, they would discount uh, it. Yeah. No, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I thought that, so eventually kind of narrowed down to just giving feedback on one item uh, uh -huh. that is useful. Like there is a, there is also in this industry standard uh, where it's recommended that you kind of report on five positive things and one negative, but I think it's, it's a little bit scripted. It depends on individual individual relationship. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. 
But oh. like, and also like uh, as uh, starting to give feedback, um, any feedback has to come from a place of empathy and not necessarily like an authoritarian criticism. Like you did this wrong and this is how, why you're wrong and so on. It has mm -hmm. to come to a place like of emotional empathy, understanding that they're still welcome, they're still your friend, they're still, you still have a good relationship, but there are some things that we would like to improve um, in order for, for the relationship or um, the work to be better. Yeah, that's really nice. I mean, uh, acknowledging that and realizing it doesn't have to be the end of the world if there's yeah something wrong that uh, it's much bigger than that. Um, yep. wh one of the things that you also mentioned was overwork, and I really want to touch on that. What ha what is that about, and um, how does that come up? How does that manifest? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> when I mentioned overwork in my presentation, uh, I meant. Um, I'm in an experience where one individual goes to a place where they start working so many hours that they no longer can get enough quality sleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, the stress from the day's work and the startup uh, and not getting enough sleep is now affecting their own personal productivity. It's affecting their health. It's affecting uh, relationships that they might be into. And eventually, which uh, all that behavior can lead to uh, either burning out or having serious uh, health uh, consequences. And obviously, as I mentioned before, uh, impacting uh, business value. Now, it's, it's very important to recognize that it is possible to experience that and it's very, very probable to experience that if you're working 14, 16 hours a day. Um, mm -hmm. And um, despite our culture of go, 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 um, a lot of the overwork and burnout issues are not being talked about and uh, they're not being brought uh, to the uh, foreground had to be discussed within small companies or large companies that are nimble for people to have a much better uh, life-work balance and to be more successful that way. Right. Well, what would be some um, indicators that people would look for? You said 14 to 16 hour work days. What about some other things that would show that you've actually hit the limit? I, I would say if you look around and you think that you now have more enemies than friends. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's more like we go through stages about feeling different individuals in our lives. And sometimes we feel bad about them. Sometimes we feel good. But if you're in a state where you don't like anybody, even though in the past you have liked them, um, something has to change. Right. Uh, probably another indicator is irritability. If you no longer want to do things that excited you in the past or you no longer can focus on a long task, uh, which you kind of still need to do, uh, needs to be done, um, that's, that's another sign. Um, health consequences, obviously, like if you start feeling more pains in different places where you've never felt pain before, um, that's definitely an indicator. Like in my case, um, I've started experiencing a lot more um, uh, ocular migraines and uh, so muscle fatigue from sitting too much. Um, and then that, that would that put me on a path to like trying to slow down and having to do less work. Well, how do you do that? Um and still feel like you're going to keep your job and you're not going to lose respect from people around you. Just to scale back and say, no, I need to take care of my health. I mean, that's, I think that's a real big issue that comes up for people. They all think like they have to pretty much do it until they be martyrs or something. But how do you do that? And, and, and um, yeah, well, in a way that the people can respect. Um, I think in, in, what happens is that an individual needs to make a decision for themselves if their health is more important than their work. Yeah. And uh, we're all capable of a short burst of exceptional productivity. 
uh, and that short birth could be very different for different people. For some, it could be a few days. For some, it could be a month or two. But in the end, everybody has to recognize that once you're doing that, you're borrowing from your future productivity. And, and uh, as long as that's on the table, you understand your capacities, you understand the capacities of your teammates. And if you're asking your team or CEO is asking the team to push through for extended periods of time, you have to actively introduce uh, periods of rest or disconnect. And if those periods are not being uh, introduced, individual has to just make a decision for themselves. Like if they want to stay with the company and damage their health or they have to leave because right. that would be no longer a good fit for the health slash effort slash business value. Okay. Now that makes a lot of sense. So it's not even just about pleasing the boss and doing it in a way. It's like, no, you really need to take care of yourself. Number one there. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, really and, there. Yeah. And in startups, we're not talking about individuals who are employees. We're talking about individuals who are generally quite independent and mm-hmm. uh, they're able to answer to themselves and they made their own decision to come to that company. And if that company is burning out, it is again their decision to step out of it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot more personal control there in a startup because that really is your decision to be a, a part of a smaller uh, you know, entrepreneurial venture there. Uh, or not. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what about uh, trying to prevent some of this? You know, you, not when you're like experiencing these pains where you're seriously at risk of burning out. How do you think about this ahead of time? Now, you kind of mentioned these breaks and stuff, but is this something that you do at your company? And do you sort of institutionalize it per se or, or have best practices? Sure. So some of the things uh, work uh, to prevent uh, conflicts, to prevent burnout, uh, is uh, one is to actually have a conversation about it, um, mm-hmm. bringing up uh, the topic, saying, hey, hey, guys, how are you feeling? Are you tired? How are you sleeping? And to have that knowledge within the company that it's not offensive to say that, hey, guys, I need more sleep. I need a day off. Mm-hmm. And just to agree with how many hours you're going to work. Like, I will, can expect some burst of energy. That's a burst of uh, productivity. Uh, which is more than, let's say, eight hours per day. Um, but so we all understand that everything beyond that is not productive. So some agree on some sort of SLAs, uh, service level agreements as for you as an individual, like how how many hours you're going to work, how many hours you're going to work per day, how many bursts you can afford and so on. Um, I think through perhaps like last minute pushes, sometimes uh, clients come in, they really, really need it. But that just doesn't happen once. It happens all the time. And we just have to agree as a team how many of those we can tolerate uh, before we start burning out people. So this is a whole different level. You're not just talking about yourself and the team or your uh, CEO. You're talking about uh, the customer at this point. How do you push back with them? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Because in the end, a startup exists is only because the customers exist. Because um, very few uh, startups out there have unlimited funding and they can do whatever they want and then release mm-hmm. the product. Um, a lot of the funding, a lot of the decisions are relying on what clients want, what customers want. And uh, to work with their schedule, uh, you also have to be upfront of what you can achieve and uh, what you can deliver and the realities of the expectations have to be communicated very clearly to the clients. Yeah. Okay. So putting in sort of limitations on the amount of hours that you will work uh, for a project or things it's, like exactly, that. Exactly. And have a value for anything that is beyond that. Because let's say if somebody works once, if you, if they, if the client knows that your company of one 
and they expect you to work 24 hours a day, well, that's obviously not possible. Yeah. Um, the two achieve a timeline. So that's where a conversation with a client could be. Well, it seems, seems like you guys are interested to have this done a lot faster and per, give them an option. So let's say you can, we can hire five more people, but you will just have to pay a little bit more money. Right. And generally, clients are fine with that. And they also understand that the, we're all humans on both sides. Uh, and they're able to incorporate those in, in the budget. Okay. So having some flexibility there and how you solve the problems that includes the people factor and the burnout and all that too. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I uh, want to mention is like scheduling t- time for uninterrupted rest away from all devices, away from all computers is immensely recover, recovering. Uh, so that's just a standard practice that should be for all leaders um, and all uh, workers. Like how much time are you talking about? Um, I'm not a doctor. so I, can't you don't know. Know, <laughs> I cannot prescribe. But I, I can tell you for sure that if I sleep for eight hours, one day in a, or two days in a row, I feel fantastic. But that's my body. And it, it's uh, every, everybody is different. Um, I'd, okay. I'd say sleeping for normal hours a day or putting the phone down for the weekend um, and just see what happens to you. Mm-hmm. So experimenting a little bit too to see what you need. Like I know I need a little more sleep than the average. Uh, and my sister, for example, needs less sleep. You know, she can go seven. I need more eight and a half kind of thing. And um, so figuring out what works for you. Exactly. Interesting. Well, you've given us some really um, important elements to consider, both from a business perspective, um, as well as just sort of the people side of things, and also just personal. I mean, it's your life after all, right? I mean, you got to think about that. Do you have any last words of advice to CTOs who are dealing with the stressors of startups? Sure. Um, So one thing which I wanted to offer is that if anybody is experiencing similar kind of stress or is really, really stressed, feel free to reach out to me and would love to talk to you guys and uh, help you out from, from my experience perspective. And, uh, and there'll be my contact information uh, that in Joanna's uh, podcast later on. And um, also a few practical things that help me is, um, so reducing screen time, as I mentioned before, uh, and I use this app called Rescue Time, uh, which mm-hmm. actually documents all the time that I spend on all devices. Uh, and that helped me realize that I'm spending between 16 to 17 hours per day in front of the screen, be that mobile or laptop. And that helped me realize that, hey, I probably should step away and consider other forms of you know, relaxation. Um, another thing that helped me was uh, yoga. Um, a lot of my stress, as I discovered, was in the muscles, so any tense muscles. Uh, yoga releases, uh, and that helped me reduce some of the stress and some of the tiredness, Uh, and probably meditation uh, that everybody is referring to during stress. That's also very helpful. Um, And if uh, to, let's say, to abstract it and convert it into more techie world, um, meditation is more of a framework for your mind to manage your thoughts as opposed to your thoughts managing you. Wow, that's great. Something that people could really resonate with who are not like total woo-woo, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go meditate. You're saying, actually, let's think about this in in tech terms that we can sort of (laughs) understand here. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Well, uh, we've come to the end of our show. And did you want to share your uh, contact information? 
Sure. Uh, so it's uh, Vladimir at advisorengine.com and Vladimir at advisorengine.com. Okay. And we'll have those in the notes as well. So if, if you didn't catch all that uh, while listening or watching, you can check the notes for uh, how to contact Vladimir. And he's graciously offered to have a chat to see how we can help you with your um, questions or challenges around the burnout and and those kind of things, and the stressors that CTOs deal with. So thank you so much, Vladimir, for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ryan. Great speaking uh, to you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And we're here thanking our listeners and viewers, too. On We're here on ReinventingNerds.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.